Hello everyone, this is Nate with Structurally, welcoming you to our second ever real estate ISA radio podcast, where we give you an inside look into the science and setup of building a successful inside sales team for your real estate business. I'm here today with my co-host, Robbie T, as well as special guest, Eric Hatch with Hatch Realty. Uh, Robbie, would you like to get us started? Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm really excited today because the focus of today's call is going to shift. Last call, we really focused in on the role of the inside sales agents um, in our businesses. And today, um, we're going to go down the journey of when are we going to hire or when should you hire your first real estate inside sales agent? And I think there's no better person to talk about this than than Eric Hatch. Because um, Eric, I, I think it's fair to say that when you really were first exploring getting an ISA, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now in terms of popularity. It was maybe like the new shiny thing. Is that fair to say at that point, Eric? Yeah, I, I hired an ISA because I listened to a bunch of people who were top teams that I never thought I would ever even get a smidge of their success. I said, I'm going to copy my way to the top. Uh, and and so sure enough, uh, I saw some people that were having great success and they were using ISAs. I didn't even know what it meant, but uh, outside of having somebody simply answer the phone and respond to leads in a timely fashion, that's the only thing I knew about it. And we fumbled our way to the top here. <laughs> that's probably a good way to describe it. Fumbling our way to the top. I love it. <laughs> there you go. So Eric, um, sounds like you, uh, you've got it figured out now, but when... You know, you, it sounded like you were starting to build up your team. Um, if, if you're a new team leader or looking to actually build out your team today, should an ISA be your first hire onto your team? Oh, boy, that is a, a heavy laden question. Um, I'm going to say no. Uh, I don't think an ISA is your first hire. I think that people want to jump to having an ISA. But what we have to figure out here, and this is something that I have studied in great depth, to try to figure out who to hire and when to hire and and, and uh, then certainly how to hire. Um, what we think about is this, is if you are the rainmaker, and for me, when I started, uh, 2011 was my first year in real estate. Uh, I sold 52 homes in 2011 as an independent agent. I had, uh, in the summer months, I had a part-time college student helping me out, but otherwise I was a solo uh, operator. And I was just burning the candle at both ends and really struggling to stay afloat. And so I did what any reasonable person would do. And that was, I hired a bunch of people that were my friends and I never vetted them. And I just brought them on board. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, we grew our team in 2012 from, uh, from four people to uh, 13 people by the end of the year. And how we hired Nate and Robbie is, is we went and uh, I hired two buyer agents and one admin. Uh, and we just jumped at it. And I think that's the, that's the easy desire is people want to jump in right away and they want to, to find producers and they want people that can help bring them in income. That year we sold 192 homes and of the 192, I did 113 of the transactions. And as I coach and as I mentor people throughout this industry, I find out that that's usually the case is that the rainmaker, even as they're growing their team, are still the main producers. 
because we're traditionally hiring folks that aren't necessarily uh, trained well, and then we don't, we haven't done uh, our due diligence to teach them how to do it exceedingly well. And yet you as a rainmaker know how to crush it in real estate. We think that that's just the natural progression is when you crush it as an independent agent, then you go and you build a team. And so I bring all that up to get to the root of the question here or the roots of the question, depending on where you're listening in the country. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it comes down to this. Uh, I think that your first hire should be an assistant. Somebody to take this stuff off your plate. The second hire should be an assistant. Uh, the, the first assistant, uh, I, I think, is, again, giving you life back in your day. Uh, they're freeing you up from all that paperwork and all the admin stuff that is so heavy laden in this real estate industry. The second hire, then, is a growth piece. The first one is to relieve you, and so now all of a sudden you have more time to produce. And if you spend that time producing, you continue to be on this cyclical wheel, right? And so this second admin comes in and they help you with marketing support. That marketing support is a really important piece of this because now you have to figure out how to market to your sphere better. And at this point, you may start entertaining purchasing some business or going out and uh, using your dollars to create more dollars. The next hire, usually people would say it's an ISA, uh, but if it's an ISA, that means you're the only producer. And think of the chaos that would create in your world if you uh, now have leveraged yourself with two assistants and uh, then an ISA starts doubling the amount of deals that you're doing. Like that's just that's too much. And so I actually think that the next hire is a showing partner, not a buyer agent, a showing partner. You need to, as a rainmaker, when you're building your world, spend more time training the people that are there instead of just giving them business and hoping that they can succeed. And you need to use the showing partner model as a way to give better service, as a way to train the people that are coming on board, and as a way for you to protect your bottom dollar. After those three hires, I think the next hire, your fourth hire, which is your fifth team member, I think that person now is an inside sales agent because you now have leveraged out a lot of your time with buyers. You've leveraged out a lot of your responsibility with the administrative side and with listings, and you now are looking again to grow. And this inside sales agent is the best way to do so. Uh, I do think though, and, and this may be uh, jumping the ship a little bit here, uh, I do think that when you hire one inside sales agent, you actually need to look to hire a second ISA. Uh, bringing somebody on board so that that one person doesn't get burnt out and that they have somebody to lean on is really important. But to summarize this, again, here would be the, how I would hire. Assistant, assistant, showing partner, ISA. And the hire after that is actually another showing assistant or showing partner because that first showing partner will be graduating to be a, a buyer's agent. Whew, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. Robbie, since you kind of lived in the ISA world, do you think – um, first of all, do you have anything to add? And second of all, how, how important do you think that that piece of hiring um, two ISAs or one right after another is in terms of competitiveness and just overall team structure? Yeah, so I'll answer the, the two plus ISAs last. And I want to just kind of add some depth to Eric's answer real quick. Um, really want one big thing that, that has to be happening throughout the hiring of admin one, admin two, and the showing partner is really this, is your role as the rainmaker is to 
uh, basically to put it in shorts, because I know Eric would love the certain term, you got to find a way to bring in the bacon. And, and the bacon mm. would be leads for the team. Because here's the thing, is, is if you're not bringing in leads, none of anything you just said, Eric, works. If you're not bringing in more opportunity for the team, none of that works. And the reality is, is when you're hiring other admin, it's leveraging roles off your plate so you can basically put your time into dollar-producing activities. Um, so I just wanted to some add some depth to that. Eric, would you, would you agree with that? Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, we what usually happens is that people are slow to hire an ISA because you think that uh, you can chase after those deals. Uh, and then you think that you're going to bring on buyer agents uh, and listing agents to chase after those deals. When realistically, unless you have trained them exceedingly well on how to do so, uh, you're not going to have massive success. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that if you don't have an ISA, you are the ISA. And and the push that we're having here on, on this hire is you need to find that spot uh, in your team and you have to make sure that there's enough business for them to chase after, as well as there's enough there, there's enough business uh, for you to handle. It's it's a both and. Yes, it's it's an imperfect science. Uh, uh, Eric said we fumbled our way through it, and I think that's this process, this layout is because we fumbled a couple times. It's probably the easiest way to describe that. Uh, to the second well, point, uh, or Eric, add something if you'd like, real quick, and then I'll talk yeah, about the ISAs. Uh, I, I was just going to say, uh, you don't necessarily have to buy business uh, to employ mm. an ISA right away. True. Uh, I think that an ISA can work your sphere and your have-mets. Uh, I think they're better suited to work the have-not-mets, uh, at least in our world they are. Uh, but there are a, a, a plethora of expireds and fizzbos and things that you can go after. Uh, and that person can come in and sharpen their teeth before you start spending uh, an obscene amount of money on purchase business. So I, I think that they can go through any old leads that you have, uh, whether it be a sign call or an internet lead or any of those old expired business. But Robbie, back to you, buddy. Yeah, I love that. And uh, the hitting on old leads is something we're going to talk about in a little bit in, in how do we onboard an ISA. Um, but I want to talk about two ISAs real quick. Uh, I want to tell you my experience. When I came into this ISA game, um, basically the way it worked was I was really the full-time ISA by myself for about three to four months. And what that really meant was we probably had about 300-ish leads coming in per month between Zillow, between what were old Tiger leads. We had now been on Commission Zinc. We had organic leads coming in because Eric is very well known in our community. So there was a lot of opportunities out there. And we had an ISA that was hired before me, but he really transitioned out of the role. And it was really only me for about three to three-ish, four-ish months. And um, I will say that by the end of that three to four months, I was completely burnt out to the point where when I brought in the next ISA that we, we finally did hire, finally, like three to four months is a long time. But when we did bring them in, basically, I just handed everything over to him out of pure exhaustion, no joke, got on a flight, went to Vegas with my wife for, I think, 11 days, and just completely checked out. And the reason it's, it's key to have two is to prevent burnout that I went through, um, if at all possible, have two to prevent burnout, because 
it was unbelievably exhausting. Um, a lot of people try to take this role and confine it to an eight to five job, and that's just not possible. Um, people keep trying, people keep failing. It will not work because in ISA, if you're doing all this outbound work throughout the day, especially now, what happens is people text you back and call you back at night. And if you don't answer that call, it really defeats the whole purpose of everything you do because the whole point of everything an ISA does is to call leads, generate conversations, identifying that conversation, whether, whether somebody's a prospect or not, and then convert the lead. And if people are calling you back and texting you back and you're not taking advantage of it, it defeats the purpose. And, and on our last one, we talked about how in this role, it's easily a 50 to 60 hour per week role. Um, with that being said, you do need to protect your time off. And if there's only one of you, if you only have one ISA, please, for their own sake, make sure there's some built-in leverage for them to take a night off a couple times a week, whether it's you know an agent taking leads or whomever, somebody, or else they will burn out. Secondly, the other major piece with, with having two ISAs is it creates speed to lead. It creates friendly competition. In our world, all leads are fair game. Basically, it's almost like a, some people call it a shark tank. Uh, basically, it's first come, first serve. So if a really great lead comes in at 3 p.m. when both ISAs are in the office, because there's two of them, it's a race to get to that lead first. And that friendly competition, the constant comparing each other's numbers, raises the floor of their performance and pushes their ceiling even higher. So those are two of the main reasons I say you definitely want to, if, if you don't have two ISAs, think about getting a second one. Um, usually it just forces them to go and find more business that's already in your system to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that competition is so important. Um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll touch more on onboarding, but absolutely don't copy what Robbie did and go to Vegas after you hire <laughs> or onboard your first ISA. Um, <laughs> switching, switching gears a little bit, um, just to kind of put some real numbers to, to what we talked about, this team structure and how to yep. hire an ISA, who to hire first, how many sure. leads, I think, I think you kind of touched on a couple different, you know, variations you can buy, you can buy leads or you can, you know, work, sure. work free leads, but how many leads should you be generating before you hire an ISA? So uh, I, I would say... I would say the number should look like this. Traditionally, um, the, the, the sweet number I like to say is 300 to 350 leads per month will keep an ISA busy. Um, they can momentarily do more than that. I think if you have them do more than that per an ISA long term, they're going to burn out. Or what's just going to happen is they're not going to be able to grab the high-hanging fruit because they don't have the time. Um, that number um, really needs some more clarity though. If you have a lot of high quality leads coming in, if it's a lot of um, property inquiry leads like Zillow or Realtor.com, if it's a lot of higher quality leads, you don't need as many. Um, higher quality leads means more conversations, more conversations means more appointments. And honestly, booking appointments takes a considerable amount of time in our world. Um, if you have a lower quality leads coming in. If your strategy is a lot of um, pay-per-click leads, for example, you're gonna need more of those leads to keep one ISA busy. For us, 
I think we have a very healthy blend. Um, our strategy in terms of marketing, it, we, we bring a healthy blend in of um, layups from radio, from property inquiry leads from Zillow, some organic home search leads, as well as uh, a good amount of pay-per-click leads. So the number we go off of because we're well-balanced is around 300 to 350. Well, I would say this also is the answer that we're giving is the way in which the game is played today. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, Nate, Nate, what you are doing with Structurally and the Artificial Intelligence ISA, uh, to have that as a game changer for ISAs and for companies, mm. I don't I don't know that answer yet, man. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, <laughs> sure. like Bobby spoke, spoke with some fire about where we're at today. I think that number is going to be way, 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 way higher in the future of the amount of leads that we actually need to employ one ISA. Uh, which means yeah. less less so. cost for us on on the overhead of uh, of employing people. Can Absolutely. I add to that real quick as well? Just, yeah, just go one for more because you're 100 percent right, Eric. That where where this game is going? When I got into it, it was so dependent on me picking up the phone and dialing people. And honestly, that was pretty labor intensive. And now this game is becoming so much more text based. And really what it does is it eliminates the amount of dead time of doing attempts. And, and Robbie, we, Robbie, 60% of your conversations in the ISA world are starting via text now. 60%, yeah, right? 60, and it's rising. I honestly, and this sounds crazy, but I, I can envision a world not in the too far future where people just don't even answer their phone unless it's a prearranged phone call, unless there's a specific purpose for it. Because... I sit there and I look at younger generations. That's how they behave. It's the millennials and the Gen Zers that literally my brothers will not answer my call. Um, if we text about something and arrange a call, they'll talk all day long. But they don't want to be inconvenienced with a random phone call. They're more than willing, though, to respond to text messages. And that number that you just said is going to keep rising. I don't know what the top end is, but it's going to be a lot higher than 60%. There's zero doubt about it. I will absolutely second that. Uh, I'm I'm 24, and the only person that I'll answer the phone for is my mother. So uh, if it's <laughs> if it's anyone other than her, then it's not happening. But I'll text them, uh, and I and I always but it's, do. It's not even it's not even you pretty face millennials either. Uh, yeah, it's like I'm 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 38. I'm right on the cusp of of I'm um, Generation X uh, type. Uh, and and I, part of me is a baby boomer at my heart, and you know, part millennial. I'm like I'm like right in the middle of all those things, and uh, I don't answer my phone uh, unless I know the number, like unless it's somebody that I've talked to, uh, because I get five to ten robo dialers a day right now, and it makes me crazy. And that's yep. th this ISA game has changed. People aren't going to pick up the call for the most part if it's not a number that they recognize. Very very valid point. Yeah. Yep. And, and yeah. it starts with younger generations. That's how all these trends tend to seem to start is they start at the bottom and then it spreads. If you look at social media adoption, it was young folks that did it first and now everyone and their grandma has a Facebook account. Um, actually now, of course, young people are moving away from Facebook because my mom's on Facebook and I don't want to be on Facebook with my mom. <laughs> uh, anyways, love you, yeah. I love you, Tammy. Uh, but that's, that's how it works, right? It's young folks start it. Um, because they challenge the status quo, they do something different, and then if it's widely adopted, it spreads among 
uh, different folks. Because I, I, I think you're 100% right, right, Eric. It's, it's spreading. That, that behavior is becoming the norm among, I mean, everybody. It's just the way it is. Right. I don't, and I don't think this is to say that phone calls will like, you know, no one will be, no one will be calling each other ever. I think one thing that we see time and time again through our conversations that our product has via text is, you know, we'll warm up the lead. We'll ask a few questions, maybe the third or fourth converse, third or fourth question in, they say, Hey, why don't you give me a call? And you know, that's, that's the perfect opportunity where an ISA or an agent who's acting like an ISA can jump in and actually make that call. It's a very valid point. But yeah, to put a bow on that, to, to really emphasize that point, the game's changing and the amount of leads per an ISA is going to go up undoubtedly because they don't have to sit there and waste so much dead time. Instead, they're going to be exchanging text back and forth. Now, honestly, that's going to change what skills are required huh, potentially in the role because making sure things don't slip through the cracks because you know in your world nate you have artificial intelligence that's having that conversation back and forth and you know it can remember to text back with us human beings sometimes we forget to send that text back um, for a plethora of reasons and the systems you create to make sure those follow-up texts don't slip through the cracks are going to be crucial and key to be relevant in the future Absolutely. So, so I think we talked a little bit about, you know, how many leads should you be generating before you have an ISA? I think, I think this is a hard question to ask and answer, but this, this is kind of more speaking to the pipeline that your ISA should be regularly working. So I know that, uh, I think it's Dunbar's number or, uh, whatever that's called says that you can, humans can only have 150 friends, 150 relationships. Um, ISAs are obviously superheroes. How many leads <laughs> should they be handling in their pipeline uh, every month? Oh man, um, I, I actually think that the this question has less to do with the person and it has a lot more to do with what is your system for everything. Um, I know in our world, um, I, and I can't even really tell you per month, right? You guys heard how many leads we have coming in roughly per an ISA per month. So we, our number that we work off was that 350 number just right now. And again, the number is going up. My ISAs at any point in time generally have about, depending on the time of year, five to 800 follow-ups scheduled with prospects in the future. That means, Nate, if you were my ISA and you had all these people you were following up with, um, that you had once contacted, you had a conversation, and they say they're a year out, and it's a very firm year out. Um, we have 500 to 800 of those, generally per an ISA, um, at any given point. Now, I think the reason Dunbar's number is 150, um, if the ISA was the ISA, the agent, and the um, person that stayed in touch with the consumer afterwards, I think the 150 number would make a lot more sense. Really what we're leveraging here is all the ISA is doing is nurturing and then handing off to the agent so that that number maybe doesn't have as much relevance in this um, in this conversation. But per, for an agent, definitely it makes, makes a ton more sense because they're chasing their friends, their family, their sphere, past clients. And that 150 number is basically saying you can't invest the energy to maintain those relationships 
But just because the ISAs are only doing the front end of, of a relationship and then handing it off and letting somebody else do it, um, the number that we generally see is five to 800. We let it get to be as big as about 1,200 once, and that was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and we had to create, again, a system, and uh, maybe we'll get into that on a, on a different call. That's a whole 25-minute conversation. But we have a system to make sure that we can keep all those organized because not all follow-ups are created equal. Basically, long story short is some follow-ups, some opportunities in the future are a lot more valuable um, than others. And therefore, you need to prioritize those over the other opportunities. So it's not to say the less quality opportunities are crap, don't ever make them. But you should never call you know, a, a D lead um, before you call an A follow-up, for example. Absolutely, that makes sense. So kind of switching gears on you guys now, I think we've talked a lot about you know, what, what an ISA should look like when they're up to speed. How do you actually get them up to speed? What After you get you know, the right ISA, which we can talk about in a later episode, um, how do you onboard an ISA and what's that four, first four to six weeks look like? Well, I'll give the simple answer and then I'll let Robbie give the more detailed answer. Perfect. It is a three-step process. The first one is watch me. The second one is watch you. And the third one is go and do. Um, the watch me portion means if you're onboarding as an ISA, if you don't have an ISA, they need to watch you. Or, or if you do have an ISA, they need to watch that person intently. Nate, if I tell you to read a book or to study a book, do you do it differently? Um, maybe. Then you. Yes, I would. <laughs> I, 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 well, no, no, no. Like, like uh, if, if I tell you to read a book, you're going to casually glance through it. But if I tell oh, you to yeah. study a book, Absolutely. you're going to, to highlight, you're going to take notes, you're, you're actively learning. And, and the I, mistake that most of us make is that, uh, is that we, we always assume that people are watching intently. When rarely, like they're seeing us, but they're not watching us with great attention. Robbie, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, just to reemphasize the um, just reading a book compared to studying it, uh, I, I just think of, you know, basically anything that is, that is a fiction book is always going to be something you read, and like a nonfiction book would be something you study. Nobody really studies uh, fiction. So that, that's all I was going to get at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that portion has time frame and, and uh, people will say, well, how long does that take? It takes as long uh, as it needs to until they get it. Uh, if you're if you're putting a uh, an exact time frame on there, they may not get it. And you're just saying, well, they, they spent their two weeks watching me. So they have it now. And so it's it's until they get it. This second step uh, of watch you is the one that everybody screws up, myself included. This is, uh, if Robbie is uh, the ISA and Nate, you're the new ISA, um, quite often you're going to watch Robbie for a couple of weeks and see what he does. And then he's going to ask you some questions. And he's like, yep, you got it. And so he just jumps to step number three. And that's go and do. Like, yep, uh, you watched me. Uh, we talked about it. So now go ahead. And realistically, um, I watch golf all the time. Uh, I love the game. Uh, but the second a club is in my hand, I become a bumbling idiot and I'm no good. I'm no good for nothing. And until I practice uh, obsessively with a coach, I'm never going to get better. And that second step uh, of watch you uh, 
is is the most important step in that three-step process is whomever is the trainer needs to spend a diligent amount of time making sure that that person's swing grip rotation foot placement ball placement all those other things are exactly right and until that happens that person should not be cut loose to go and do but that's my answer from a, a ten thousand foot view that's awesome it sounds it. like you're a pro golfer actually <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> those I, sound, I always, those I, always real. Play, <laughs> I always play i always play best ball i hit until i hit my best ball and i go to it <laughs> just the one man <laughs> best ball that's awesome <laughs> that's right that's great uh, robbie uh, do you have anything else to add on the on the onboarding so I want to I'll, I'll supplement what Eric said. I, I do think that is the biggest mistake. Um, most people completely skip the skip step two. They have the person watch them, and then they say go and do. And then what happens is two months later, um, the ISA is having these conversations that are way out of line from what they want to have, and then they get mad at the ISA. And the problem with that is, I would say almost all. All of these issues are almost never the teammate's fault or the employee's fault. Whenever I see issues in terms of somebody that's relatively new, it's almost always because people skip the now I watch you stage. And I'm going to make sure that you're doing things correctly. You're having the conversations correctly. So most people skip that and it's extremely detrimental. Um, now, in terms of specifics, because I, like Eric said, I like to zoom in. Um, really, in the in the first um, three weeks, here's what I would say needs to happen. First off, your ISA shouldn't just shadow anyone that's making lead generation calls. They also need to go and shadow buyer consultations, listing consultations. They need to shadow showings, open houses. Now, not because um, your ISA should be doing open houses. We used to do that, by the way, and it's just we moved away from it. But because your ISA needs to firmly understand and has a, have a firm grasp of the whole process, they need to understand what it's like for a consumer to make the call, walk in the door, go through the closing process, because they're going to need to be able to articulate it to other people on why that is value to them. And if they've never been to an open house, if they don't know what a showing looks like, if they don't know what an inspection is – you're missing the boat on an opportunity to train them on what the whole process looks like. So the first few weeks, that is absolutely crucial. Basically, I would say the first two, three weeks is them watching you, like Eric said, the you watch me space. That's all it is. Then from there, that's when, you know, after three to four weeks in, that's when we'll do some role plays, and I'm going to start watching you to see if you can do the basics of this conversation really well. Um, how's your introduction? Um, Jim talks about this really well. Jim is hands down the best ISA in the country, and he talks about how most people like go and practice these extravagant role plays. And what you need to do is you need to practice the basics. You need to pull a John Wooden here. John Wooden, with all of his basketball players, the first thing he would teach them was how to tie their shoes. Because think about that. Tying the shoes in this ISA world is what is your opening question with your potential clients? That is us tying our shoes. And if you try running with shoes that are tied terribly, you're going to trip. And if you 
just start running out of the gate and don't ask a great question right away, you're going to trip. So um, phase two, those next week or two, and, and I, I don't think we can put like a definitive, this is the amount of time. I think it's this is the check marks you've earned, right? We don't just push people through based on time. We do it based off of competency in the role, which I, I think is really key. And then I want to add one more key piece to this in terms of how to onboard your ISA. Um, a lot of people, and I used to do this, I used to advocate that when an ISA comes in, give them access to leads right away. Give them access to those new leads right away. I used to advocate for this, and I was dead wrong. Realistically, what we found works the best is when an ISA comes in, once they're out of the you watch me and I watch you stage, and now they're in the go and do stage, what should happen is they should start calling your old crap in your database. That should be the first leads your ISAs ever call. Don't go give them new and, stuff. And expired and expires and FISBOS. And expired and actually go you know what so for me, when I first came in, what Eric did was I got access to basically I think it was two thousand old tiger leads. I forget the exact numbers, but that was all the leads I got. Now, for basically the first two, three months of my job, all I did, and there was another ISA taking the new stuff at that point, all I did for those first two, three months was I called through a bunch of old Tiger leads, and then what I manually did was I went through the last five years of expires, and this was before there was companies that would sell you this list, but I manually created a list of all expires and canceled that I could chase, and that's all I did for about two, three months, and... I proved myself to not just Eric through those channels, but to the team because I was now grabbing the fruit that was higher up on the tree because I was chasing things that have already been chased. The tree had already been shook by the, by the agents or by the other ISA. Now I was creating opportunities out of the old crap. And the reason this is key is if you give an ISA brand new stuff, if you give them the brand new Zillow leads, the brand new leads, it, it's kind of like this. You don't give the keys to a brand new Range Rover to a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old. First off, because they're going to crash it. No matter what you do, when they go and do, they're going to crash the vehicle a little bit. That is always going to happen. And we don't want to miss out on those opportunities because they're still learning to drive. Secondly, if you give a 14, 15-year-old the keys to a Range Rover, and then you say, hey, by the way, you got to go drive the Honda Civic once in a while too – I don't think it's going to happen. I think it creates a sense of entitlement. So in our world, when an ISA comes in, they call through the old crap. Like Eric said, expireds, canceled, the old ones. The old leads in the database that have got forgotten about, that have been forgotten about. And have them create opportunities there, then have them slowly work their way up to earning the best lead sources. Don't just hand over the good stuff right away. It's, it's, it's a, it's a you know, disaster waiting to happen. And, and honestly, we, we've done both of these methods. I was onboarded, I think, the right way. When we onboarded Jim, and, and I, Jim and I talk about this all the time, when we onboarded Jim, Jim was the guy that came on when I got on the flight to Vegas. And he had been on for about, I want to say, a month at that point. And I just turned everything over to him for those 11 days. We didn't really know any better, right? We fumbled our way forward. 
And what unfortunately happened was Jim got so accustomed, even in just those 11 days, and then, of course, once you give it, you can't take it away. Um, he got so accustomed to the easy stuff that he didn't learn the work ethic to grind through the tough stuff. And over the next year, he was, got really frustrated because I learned, I came in and I, I just worked through the tough stuff. And I built those habits of making ridiculous amounts of dials, of getting rejected on the phone, not just calling the brand new Zillow lead. So we've learned it both ways. Of course, Jim now has, it turned out, we thankfully, uh, we coach up and, and Jim um, self-discovered a lot of this and now is, on, you know, the best ISA in the country. But his first year, he would be the first to tell you his mindset wasn't right. And, and honestly, that wasn't his fault. It was mine. I, I onboarded him incorrectly. I gave him access to the easy stuff too soon. So don't make my mistake. Don't get on a flight to Vegas and turn over the easy stuff to your new ISA. Please, please, please have them prove themselves in the old stuff. By the way, that's free money for you, right? And, mm -hmm. and those old expireds, that's free money for all of us. With those old leads, that's free money that we all forgot about. Have them go find some free money for you. And then during that process, I promise you, they're going to be legitimized by the team. That's just how it works. Yeah, for sure. And I think that onboarding piece is so important to get right. But uh, you guys might have not gotten it right first, but you, you <laughs> certainly figured it out now. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I want to kind of flip the flip the, the script here a little bit. Um, sure. We've been talking a lot about the ISA's role when they get on uh, the team and how they get on. But I think we have, you know, really interesting perspective here with with you uh eric and, and robbie what qualities is an isa actually looking for in a team leader man i like that question nate uh <laughs> I, I i i would i would say this uh first off we have to understand who's going to be brought in as an isa in our world it's not somebody who's a traditional salesperson it's, it's not somebody it's not somebody who is who is the high eye super social outgoing type of person that loves people interaction and face-to-face -face stuff all day every day uh and so what, what instead uh if you're familiar with the disc profile and uh, we covered it in our last one is we're looking for oftentimes a dc or a cd personality somebody who is dominant a driver uh and then somebody who is good with details and systems so i would make this proclamation based on that aforementioned information. Uh, the leader has to have a very clear vision of where the team is going and the success that awaits them for somebody to be foolish enough to sign up as an ISA. Yeah. Uh, they have to understand that they are coming into a position not as the bottom person out of totem pole, Rather, you show them the path of what it takes to grow into management and leadership and influence within your organization. Uh, the team leader has to be able to say, I want you to be an essential player in all these people's business and you are going to be the key person that we lean on for growth and for sustainability. To be able to have that kind of articulation around it is essential. Uh, and so I think that the team leader has to have a clear understanding, and then they have to be able to have the right kind of follow-up to say, uh, yes, we talked about it, now here's how we're actually going to do it. Because a D personality doesn't wait around for many people. And the C personality needs to see a plan. 
and and they, they they need to see the steps that are taken there. And so uh, we have to have that roadmap laid out. I think it's difficult to bring somebody on board and say, I hope you do really well, and I hope <laughs> you can help our agents make some money. And by the way, you're not going to get a paycheck for months and months. Like, if you're if that's if that's your sales pitch, you may as well pitch slap yourself in the face because it's not going to work. I, uh, I want to add to that. I, I think if you're hoping your way towards leadership, um, I think your, your leadership is probably non-existent. Um, one, at one of our recent events, somebody had, had kind of brought up, um, in, in our world, I, I think what Eric is honestly, you know, if you were to come to Fargo and, and be exposed to our team and our relationships, what Eric is known for is finding out what the people in his world want and helping them get it. Um, Eric, you always talk about how you're trying to build runways for the people in your world. It's kind of your go-to, right? And where, where you will go wrong, I think in leadership, whether I think especially with ISAs, DC personalities, where you will go wrong is you will make assumptions on where you think people want to go. And you can't just tell people that you want to build runways for people. What you have to do is is not just have the mindset Eric talked about, but you have to also be willing to zoom in with your ISAs, dig into what they want, what matters to them, where do they want to go, and then help them build a plan to get there. That's how you're going to light an ISA. I think, honestly, not, not just an ISA. That's how you're going to light anybody on your team on fire. Is Are you taking the time to sit down, asking Nate, in this case, or you know anybody else, what matters to you? What do you want to change about your life? What do you want to do? Where are we going? And then saying, how do I help you get there? If you can do that, and if you can find ways to align your business with helping the people in your world become better versions of themselves, envision and help them create the better life that they desire. If you can do those things, I promise you people are going to stick around, especially at higher rates than, than normal in this industry. That's what creates fighters. That's what creates advocates in your world is when you take time to not just make everything about yourself, but about the person across from you because here's the reality you go ask any of the best isas i know they don't want to make calls they don't want to go shoot text messages but what we've done is we've aligned the work that they do with helping them achieve the goals that they want to achieve and that's what a great team leader does is you zoom in you find out what matters to them and you bring it in alignment with what you're doing in your world and how do you create that pathway to get people to where they want to go. That's how you create a loyal, hardworking, fully bought in ISA and any team member. Right. And I think you guys, that's why it's so exciting to have you both on the on this podcast is you guys have have figured out both sides of this. Although, you know, you might not have figured it out at, at, at first. <laughs> uh, you guys have built... Uh, one of the most amazing, um, really, real estate teams in the country. I, I firmly believe that. And you've, you've figured it out with, with leadership um, from Eric's side and Robbie's side, as well as, you know, you know the day-to-day. You guys are hiring the right people, training them right. And uh, it's exciting mm-hmm. to see, guys. I, I really appreciate uh, 
Really appreciate everything that you guys brought to the table today. Um, and I think with that, we'll wrap it up. So that's all we have today for um, when should you hire your first real estate inside sales agent. You can find more free insights like this by searching Real Estate ISA Radio on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on the theisaradio.com. Also, be sure to check out the best in ISA coaching at hatchcoaching.com and the most insightful artificial intelligence ISA at structurally.com. Until next time, everyone, happy closings.